it's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flint composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get right through now, it. the COVID-19 vaccine are available to millions of Americans and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hugger and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people, and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. It's Wednesday, which, of course, means coming up in about an hour. We have uh, this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our two-hour uh, two roundtable uh, with commentary and analysis on local, state, national headlines in politics and current events. With our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki on the left and Henry Hatter on the right. They'll be joined this week by Politico Emeritus Woodrow Stanley. And uh, hope you'll uh, stick around and, and uh, listen in. Uh, in the meantime, we're going to start out uh, this uh, show this morning with our um, regular visiting economist from the University of Michigan, Flint, Chris Douglas. Chris, good morning. Welcome to the show. Hey, good morning, Tom. Great to be here. Um, Chris, it's it's been a little while uh, since we last spoke on the air, but it um, but a lot has happened with regards to um, getting things started toward a, a path back to normal. Um, we saw this this past weekend, Memorial Day, uh, people are flying again in in uh, huge numbers, not not record numbers, but but certainly uh, outstanding numbers given what they were a year ago. Um, 
how much of an impact does uh, travel play on the economy? Because it's being predicted that there will be a lot of travel this summer. Uh, so it plays a big role in the economy, um, depending on how you define travel. You're talking about like transportation services. You know that's maybe you know ten or twenty percent of the economy. So the airline industry is a multi-billion-dollar industry, and it's a fixed-cost industry. Meaning, the cost of getting the plane into the air is the same if there's one passenger on board or if the plane is completely full. So when air travel was down by ninety percent you know, April 2020, you know, the airlines are just losing billions of dollars so that can't continue on forever. Um, you know, if all the airlines go through bankruptcy, then the industry is in a state of disruption, um, just like it was after 9-11. But with air travel rebounding to, I think it's about 70% back to normal, uh, which is a big improvement given that um, even last summer it kind of plateaued out at being about 45 or 50% back to pre-COVID levels. You know, that'll help the airlines prevent bankruptcy, um, which will prevent a period of economic disruption. So just air travel getting back to normal, I think, helps stabilize the economy. And then you look at various parts of Michigan, uh, various parts of the U.S., just very heavily reliant on tourism. Um, Northern Michigan is a classic example of that. Uh, Mackinac Island, um, I was just reading it in Detroit Free Press, had an off year last year because of COVID and the shutdowns. Uh, they said things were kind of back to normal for Memorial Day. It was looking like this was going to be kind of a normal travel summer. So there's lots of businesses in Michigan that are really dependent on the uh, Memorial Day to Labor Day window to stay profitable. Um, you know, Maybe they could ride out one bad summer like last summer, but they can't ride out two or three. So just having a normal travel season is really crucial for these businesses and tourist areas like northern Michigan who really need those summer profits to ride out um, the winter months. Now, this is an area of speculation, of course, but a lot of businesses went under during the uh, the last year and a half because of the pandemic, um, or at least that's the the main reason being given. Um, what happens to those those people and and their customers? Um, the entrepreneurs who own the business, uh, you know, they have to find another job, unfortunately. And they probably took a lot of a big personal loss in the process because a lot of the businesses that went under, probably almost all the businesses that went under were small businesses, um, independently owned businesses by uh, middle-class Americans. So for the first couple of weeks of the shutdown, the businesses tried to write out the loss of revenue with just some cash reserves. Well, they burned through that very quickly. And then these small businesses kind of muddled through, uh, you know, the weeks after the initial shutdown by the small business owner using his or her personal savings um, to keep the lights on in the face of just a loss of revenue and a loss of business. So eventually, small business owner runs out of personal savings and then the business fails. So it's a very tragic situation in the sense that, you know, people see their life's work gone due to the shutdown, you know, restaurants, admitted families for generations, other businesses, similar story. So these entrepreneurs exit the market, losing their business, and in the process, losing their life savings as well. And then they have to find a new job to try to make up for the job they lost, and the new job's probably going to be worse than the job they lost. 
because it's going to be hard to start a new business you know, after you've kind of lost everything uh, with your first business going under. So it's, I think it's an under, underappreciated tragedy of the COVID shutdowns in terms of just how many lives have been ruined due to the business failures stemming from these shutdowns. And what about the, the federal dollars that were contained in the various COVID relief bills that came out of Washington? Um, too little, too late? Why weren't those, uh, those businesses able to access that money to keep going? It seems like the Paycheck Protection Program, which was supposed to give businesses money to keep them going, was just really hard to navigate. Um, the rules are ambiguous. Uh, are these loans that have to repay, be repaid? Are these loans that are forgiven? Um, there seems to be a lot of ambiguity with that. It seems like it is just very difficult to apply. Uh, the first wave of Paycheck Protection Program funds got extinguished very quickly um, after the first COVID relief bill back last March. So a lot of small businesses didn't have a chance to apply for it because you get this feeding frenzy and it's the larger businesses that have you know, resources in the form of accountants and lawyers who are able to get to the front of the queue. Um, so there's a second wave of funding. You know, that might have been a little bit too little too late. It just seems like the program was hard to navigate. So a lot of businesses who could have benefited uh, fell through the cracks. And those funds only go so far. Um, I think the original Paycheck Protection Program was designed to keep a business going for like a month or so if I remember correctly. Well, you know, the shutdown just dragged on uh, much longer than that. And even with the shutdown being somewhat lifted in states like Michigan, you know, there's still a capacity restriction. You know, June 1st was a magical threshold for Michigan to the sense that outdoor restrictions have been lifted, mask restrictions have been lifted for fully vaccinated people. Uh, but there's still capacity restrictions for restaurants. Only 50% capacity is allowed at an indoor restaurant or bar. Well, a bar or a restaurant can't be profitable with a 50% capacity restriction. You know, they're barely profitable with 100% capacity because it's such a competitive industry. So, you know, whatever Paycheck Protection Program funds were available are long gone. And these continued restrictions are really making it difficult for businesses to keep their lights on. Now, the, the failure rate uh, or, or the failure of so many small businesses and then, of course, um, the uh, airlines getting off the ground, no pun intended, um, how, do, how do those things play on Wall Street? Um, well, I guess they don't really matter given that the stock market's at a record high level. Um, there's just so much going on that affects the stock market that um, small business failures, you know, the effect of that kind of gets washed out. Um, I think there are two big effects uh, with the stock market rally. The first is, you know, the big tech firms really did well during the pandemic. You know, the Amazons of the world, the Netflixes of the world, um, their stock surged because people are staying at home, uh, watching Netflix, ordering on Amazon because the brick and mortar stores are shut down. You know, that helps fuel a stock market rally. You know, small businesses like your mom-and-pop restaurant or your small brick-and-mortar store, uh, they're not traded on Wall Street. So, you know, if that business fails, it's not going to directly impact Wall Street. You know, there might be some secondary effects that would impact Wall Street. You know, if you get a wave of business failures and a wave of commercial loan defaults, 
Well, then if banks are teetering on the brink of insolvency, you know, like what happened a dozen years ago with housing market failures, well, that would impact Wall Street, but apparently that hasn't happened, at least not yet. So just these massive publicly traded corporations doing really well during the shutdown is really fueling a stock market boom, as is very loose monetary policy. Um, it's hard to overstate how much new money the Federal Reserve has pumped into the economy since last March. Uh, the money supply is up by something like $2.5 trillion. That's a number that's hard to wrap your head around. But if you look at the standard definition of the money supply, 40% of all money in that definition of the money supply, the M1 money supply, was created in 2020. So that's, you know, four out of every $10 floating around the economy was created last year. That's just impossible to wrap your head around. Well, all that money has to find a home. So people are getting that new money in the form of stimulus checks, other relief, and dumping it into the stock market looking for a return because you can't just deposit the money in the bank. Interest rates are basically zero. Your certificate of deposit in the bank will pay maybe 0.1% interest. So people looking for a rate of return, investing in the stock market, and that demand for stocks is pushing stock prices up. So I think Federal Reserve action is largely to blame for what's going on to the stock market. And um, doesn't that devalue the dollar when that much money is, is just added to the economy? Yeah, that's why everyone's afraid of inflation. People got a little bit worried that, um, you know, the, the April inflation numbers were much higher than in, in the recent years. Uh, for the last decade or so, inflation was coming in at about 1.7% a year. Well, in April, it was basically double that. And the explanation was, well, this is nothing to worry about. They called that base effects. And that when you look at inflation, you're going um, year-to-year changes. So the April inflation rate was the difference between prices in April 2020 versus prices in April 2021. And people are saying, well, prices in April 2020 were depressed due to the shutdown of the big recession. So you would expect prices to rebound in April 2021 uh, with the economy reopening and the economy recovering. So that's what they say are the base effects. Well, the base in April 2020 was low. So you'd ex expect prices to naturally rise. So it would be nice if that's true, but people are worried that, yeah, a lot of money is being pumped into the economy. And it looks like more money is going to be pumped into the economy still. Uh, President Biden is proposing a $6 trillion budget, which is that's like 50%, more than 50% of what the government would usually spend in a normal year. So where is that money going to come from? Well, taxes are being raised to cover the difference. You know, that money is going to be largely borrowed and printed. You're going to have all this newly printed money on top of the newly printed money that's already been dumped into the economy, be further dumped into the economy, which is the classic recipe for inflation. You know, that's what's got people people really worried is that policymakers don't seem particularly concerned about how much money can be created. They think it's just that a limited quantity can be created without devaluing the dollar. Chris, I have to take a break here. Can you stick around so we can talk some more? Oh, sure. Great. My guest is Chris Douglas, economist from the University of Michigan, Flint. And we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Lions. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You are, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. And where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County. Where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org. 
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue now with my conversation this morning with uh, economist Chris Douglas from the University of Michigan Flint. Chris, uh, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. It's always great to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, Chris, we were talking about the uh, the, the airlines and, and the uh, huge number of travelers that we saw uh, over the Memorial Day weekend. And... Um, and the anticipation of a lot more travel over the summer. Um, and then we uh, we started talking a little bit about the uh, money supply and inflation. What is going on with the price of lumber? Yeah, that, that's a hard one to know. I think it's a combination of just seeing commodity prices rising across the board. So it's not just lumber that's up, oil is up. Other commodities are are up, just like the stock market is up. It kind of gets back to what we said before the break, in that when you dump all this newly created money into the economy, you know that new money has to find a home. It's found a home in stocks, fueling a stock market rally, and it's found a home in commodities, you know, fueling a rise in commodity prices. Um, like we said before the break, um, if you're looking to save, a bank deposit's a bad place to do it, given that interest rates on bank deposits are basically zero, so you have to find something that has a positive rate of return, hence the increase in stock prices, hence the increase in commodity prices. So that's pushing some of it. And I think also what's going on is you have these unintended consequences of the shutdown that's disrupted global supply chains. So transportation between the U.S. and Canada, you know, that's been... Um, hampered with the U.S.-Canadian border being shut for the better part of a year and a half. So you have these cases where, um, you know, lumber is cut in the in the woods, and then there's transportation difficulties getting it to the lumber mill. Um, then when it gets to the lumber mill, there are labor shortages, so it's hard to process the raw lumber into boards. Um, you know, it's hard to transport the boards to um, the stores, to construction sites. Um, part of the problem, too, is when construction got shut down for a couple months last year, you know, the demand for lumber plummeted, so um, lumber supply consequently fell. You know, why would lumber companies produce lumber that no one's using, given that no one's building houses due to the shutdown? So now with things are getting back online, you know, the demand for lumber is surging. Well, now lumber companies are trying to scramble to meet that demand, you know, given the supply chain difficulties that are being felt. So it's like you shut down one component of the economy, and then you just have these ripple effects throughout all these other components of the economy that results in weird things happening, happening like um, lumber shortages and skyrocketing lumber prices. But looking at, at just the, the simple everyday items that people use, um, for construction, for home improvement projects, and I'm talking about, um, you know, plywood and two-by-fours and that kind of thing. Looking at some of these prices, they seem to have tripled. Is that an unexpected uh, level of, of increase? And how long does something like this last before it, it settles to something that might seem more normal to people? Yeah, I think it is an unexpected increase. Um, you know, when people 
or when politicians shut down um, the economy last year, I don't think anyone was really expecting that. Well, a consequence of this will be lumber prices tripling, but it seems like it was a con- you know that is a consequence of the shutdown in the sense that uh, the shutdown just disrupts the entire supply chain for lumber. So, you know, houses are getting built for the better part of a month or two last year. I forget when construction was allowed to resume. I feel like it was in mid-May of 2020. So that's six weeks of no construction projects taking place, um, hence a big reduction in the demand for lumber. You know, hence the lumber companies idle their mills. So um, the supply of lumber starts subsequently decreasing. Well, once construction reopens, well, everyone wants lumber now to make up for lost time. You know, it's just really hard to ramp back up um, lumber production, hence prices are rising. On top of all these supply chain issues in terms of getting the lumber from the woods to the mill, from the mill to the the store. So... But will the prices come when will the prices come down when production normalizes and and what's what's your best guess on on how long it takes for that kind of normalization to occur? Yeah, it's hard to say what how long it'll take for normalization to occur because there's never been an economic shutdown before, so there's really no (laughs) historical thing that we could use as a guide. And then the housing market is is just completely completely out of whack right now. That demand for houses is just sky high. I think it's much higher than what it was even at the height of the housing bubble um, 15 years ago. So you have the surging demand for houses, so everyone wants to take advantage of that surging demand by building new supply. Um, so that just puts further pressure on um, the lumber supply chain. So things might not get back to normal for a long time in that if this demand for housing just stays permanently high, you know, the demand for lumber is going to stay subsequently permanently high and prices will be just out of whack for a long time. What are the factors leading into this high demand for housing? It, it, it doesn't seem, it, it doesn't make sense to me in this regard. Most people in America were told to shelter at home, so they just stayed home. Then all of a sudden, it's it's becoming okay to come out of our quarantine, and now all of a sudden, people need a place to live. Yeah, I know it does seem strange, especially when you put it that way. Um, Is it it's a surprise it, let me, to me too? L- let me let me speculate here for a minute and see you know what your thoughts are on this. Uh, you know, in the wake of uh, the housing bubble from fifteen years ago. I came out of that thinking, boy, you know, I just would never buy a house again. I'm just going to rent because you just don't know what's going to happen, and it's more flexible. And then all of a sudden this pandemic happens, and and I'm thinking if there were other people who thought like I did back then, um, and and they were renting, um, all of a sudden they they had to stay home all the time, and they, they felt confined. All of a sudden, it created a desire to upgrade from apartment living to owning a home. And there may be a generational factor as well, young people starting to have families and so on. Um, what Do you think those are, are factors in this high demand for housing, or, or what are some other ones? Are, are people, because of remote work, feeling like they can pick where they want to live more? 
No, I think you nailed it uh, with what you said. Um, the first thing you said, I think, is interesting, too, is that, yeah, a lot of people got burned a dozen years ago when the housing market crashed and there was foreclosures, prices were falling. So, like you said, a lot of people said, well, you know, owning a house is nice propaganda about how it's the American dream, but you know, there are some real downsides in terms of if prices fall, you could be underwater on your mortgage, it locks you into a particular area. Well, yeah, people so got people upside said, down on their mortgages, and then and they couldn't they couldn't give away houses. Yeah, that's right. Um, but that's a dozen years ago when people forget. So when you were talking about that, it made me think of um, when countries default on their debt, like Greece has famously defaulted on its debt before. And I think if you go back to something like the late 1800s, the country of Greece has been in a state of default more than half half the time. But yet people continue to load governments like Greece money. And there's been studies done that suggest that, well, after you know 20 or 30 years, people kind of forget about the defaults and start lending again. And maybe for the housing market, it doesn't take 20 or 30 years. Maybe it only takes a decade for everyone to forget what happened and go back to buying houses and issuing risky mortgages again. So people's short memory, I think, explains some of it. Um, but what you said about the shutdown, I think, is right, too, and that people are looking for space. That living in a big city like a New York, Chicago, or San Francisco in a small apartment is really fun in normal times. There's all those big city amenities, cultural things, restaurants. Yeah, maybe you have a 500-square-foot studio apartment, but you're just basically sleeping in it, and that's it, so who cares? Well, I lived in Los Angeles for a short time in uh, what my apartment was the size of most people's bedrooms. and But, you know, while I was there, people spend all their time outdoors, and... You know, if I had been quarantined in that space, I I would have come out of it wanting some more space, without a doubt. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you go stir-crazy if you're stuck in a 450-square-foot studio apartment for weeks on end because you can't go outside. And the big cities had much more strict um, shutdown restrictions than places like Michigan did. Michigan's were pretty strict, but at least we could still go outside go for walks, go for runs. The golf courses opened in May. You could go play golf as a way to get outside. Like golf increased in popularity last year. But if you're in a big city, you know, you didn't have that option. So a lot of people said, well, give it work remote. You know, we want some additional space. We want a backyard. We want to get out of the city, go to, a su- go to the suburbs. So that's really fueling the increase in demand for housing. And you look at places where people from states like California are going to, Boise, Idaho, Bozeman, Montana. Prices are just through the roof. Wide open. If you just go on wide roof, open spaces. That's right. You know, big sky country. Um, if you go to realtor.com and just do a real estate search for Bozeman, Montana, you know, those ho- housing prices look like they're in San Francisco. You know, 1,200 square foot ranch houses going for more than half a million dollars. Um <laughs> I, I shouldn't laugh, but it, it sounds so ridiculous. I remember when I was in California seeing places, uh, you know, oceanfront properties that were selling for multiple million dollars, and they wouldn't allow them to build them on Lake Fenton. Yeah. Um, I mean, these, these were, just, some of these properties were junk. 
<laughs> they were going yeah. for multi-million dollar price tags. And I couldn't help but find it funny, except for the fact that people were forced to pay them if they wanted to live in these places. Yeah, that's what's going on in those cities, like Boise, Bozeman, others, and that you find a house, you're like, well, this is outrageously priced, but you do what you got to do. So you put an offer in above asking, and then, you know, there's 14 other offers above asking too, and then you don't get the house because, you know, some guy just put it a crazy price above asking because it just paid cash for it. So you have a lot of, like, native residents of these cities who just can't find a house because you have all these people from states like California who just show up and just overpay for these housing houses, which pushes up the price. It kind of displaces the residents. And I think that's a real concern that these residents have. So you're seeing people in cities just kind of disperse across the country, which increases the demand for houses in those cities. And for some reason, they seem to congregate in um, various cities like Bozeman and Boise. How much of, Probably because there's lots of lots of room in the mountains, I guess. Well, how much of that uh, of that migration that we're seeing from big cities is uh, a search for space, and how much of it is the freedom to work from anywhere? I think both. Um, if you didn't have the freedom to work for, for from anywhere. You can want all the space you want, but you know if work says you've got to be in the office of downtown San Francisco while well, you're stuck in San Francisco. So I think people are thinking that well, this work from home is going to be a real long-term thing. You know, maybe you have to go to the office, but maybe only a handful of times per month. You know, I could just drive it or you know hop on a flight from Montana to go into the office. So I think what people are thinking is, well, I've been working from home for the last year and a half. I'm as productive or even more productive working from home due to fewer distractions. So, you know, this is going to be a long-term thing. I could leave the city, you know, find a wide open space and work from there. Yeah, I, th- I, I think that has a lot to do with it. But companies are um, starting to open up and call people back into the offices. Do you think the companies are going to support a uh, continued and growing remote work trend? Yeah, that's hard to say. Um, You would think that someone who decides to leave San Francisco or go to Boise, Idaho, would have got some sort of assurance from his or her company that work from home could be a long-term thing. It seems like it'd be kind of crazy to go buy a house in Boise only to be called back to the office, you know, three or four months later. So it's hard to say, like, at what extent work from home will be a long-term thing, but I have to imagine this could be um, some sort of long-term thing. You know, maybe some sort of split between the office and work from home. It seems unlikely that it'll be full back to the office um, five days a week, eight to ten hours a day. Uh, given that work from home seems to have been a success for a large number of workers. Uh, given that workers are in short supply, um, if a company's workers are really demanding work from home, you know, the company's going to probably have to acquiesce to that to some regard. Well, certainly uh, tech companies are, are going to be a little bit more remote work friendly. Um, some companies are embracing remote work, and, and some might 
really want to try and get things to the way they were before the pandemic. Um, but that reminds me of something you said uh, during the last segment, and, and we brushed up against it. We've talked about it a lot over the last few months, is um, how well most, if not um, all, but certainly some tech companies did during the pandemic what what kinds of businesses did really poorly i mean we know entertainment took a big hit but what are what are some others that um that got hit especially hard by the pandemic yeah just anything you have to be at in person with a group of other people just got hit really hard so entertainment of course like concerts sporting events um, like the professional sports got hit hard um, because they couldn't sell tickets uh, because of capacity restrictions. Uh, you would think that people would have spent the pandemic at home watching sports on TV for something to do, but that doesn't seem to have been the case. And that ratings for the four professional sports leagues were down during the pandemic for whatever reason. Um, we can speculate what that reason is. You know, One reason might be, well, if you're not at work with your friends, um, you have less reason to watch sports because you have no one to talk sports with you know that might be an explanation uh so yeah you know those things took a hit bars and restaurants of course you you couldn't go into bars and restaurants for a, a while in many places like michigan um just normal small businesses brick and mortar got hit hard too uh due to stay-at-home orders so if you look at the shutdown um restrictions there are businesses that were exempt you know, grocery stores were exempt. Big box stores like Walmart were largely exempt. Uh, you know, those businesses did well. So any business that was largely exempt from the shutdown order, I think, did fine or probably actually profited because, you know, the shutdown order took out a lot of your competition. So the businesses that weren't exempt are the ones who did poorly. Um, like I said, small brick and mortar, bars, restaurants, entertainment, you know, transportation, hotels. You know, those things took a big hit. What about on, on Wall Street, which, um, you know, when, when we say Wall Street is doing well, that can, that can often be because some industries are leading the way. What are some that are, that are dragging behind? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Or, um, or is it a case when, you know, when the tide rises, all boats float? Yeah, I'm sure there are some individual stocks that have underperformed, that haven't done well during the pandemic. Um, none really leap to mind um, because I think the broader stock market rally has benefited all stocks, you know, some more than others. But it's hard to think of, like, particular stocks that um, took a permanent hit. So the airline stocks certainly went down April 2020. Uh, but those have largely rebounded, um, you know, given the vaccines being uh, rolled out, air travel picking up and so forth. So I don't think you see a whole lot of publicly traded companies just taking a real bath and seeing their stock go from like 100 bucks a share down to a dollar per share, you know, like a pets.com stock type of thing. Because the businesses that took the severe hit are non-publicly traded corporations, you know, just small businesses, sole proprietorships. You know, that the stock that the shutdown uh, really hit hard. So, you know, that's what's sad about 
you know, the COVID recession is that it's had this disproportionate impact. So these large multinational corporations, you know, they're able to weather the storm, lots of other profits go up, whereas it's the small businesses, you know, they're the ones who bore the brunt of the shutdown. And, you know, they're not on Wall Street, so uh, Wall Street was largely unaffected by that. Well, you know, I forgot to mention this before we went on the air. Um, next month, uh, when you return, um, I, I, I want to try and do this in person if you'd be uh, amenable to, to coming out to the house. I'm thinking about doing a show out on the deck and, and having the armchair politics people in person. I wondered if, if you'd want to come out and do the show in person as well. It's July 7th. Uh, sure, I should be around on July 7th. I'll just have to double check my calendar now that things are getting back in person. Yeah, I have to exactly. my calendar again. Back when it was Zoom, I can just be like, oh, yeah, no problem. You know, I'll just Zoom in forever I am. But I should be around the 7th. I'll, I'll, I'll send you a note with all the, with all the details, and, and we can confirm it. I just, um, I just got thinking about that because we're, we're almost out of time, and, um, and I, I want to make sure and invite you back next month so we can – because I think we'll have uh, some more information about the pace of returning to normal. Yeah, I think so, too. And um, it'll be interesting to see what happens with these labor shortages. And that We have something we've never really seen in a recession, and that we have the unemployment rate being high, still over 6%, which is high by, you know, the, by standards of the last few years. So you have this high unemployment, but you have every business looking for workers. I mean, you can't drive down the street without seeing multiple help wanted sides. So you have this weird paradox with high unemployment plus labor shortages everywhere. So I guess over the next month, we could see how that paradox resolves itself. Yeah, maybe we can um, focus, yeah. focus on that a little bit next time, Chris, um, because we could, we could spend our whole time talking just about some of the anomalies that are happening there. Um, but we, yeah, it's kind of like the lumber thing we we're talking about with these shutdowns. It just causes all these anomalies that pop up in the economy in unexpected places. Well, on that note, uh, Chris, thanks so much for um, for being here. As always, it's a pleasure talking with you. Oh, it's great to be here, Tom, and hopefully we can see each other in person. It'd be great to see you next month. All right. Take care. Hey, you too. That was economist Chris Douglas from the University of Michigan, Flint, and uh, we have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. I've got... 90,000 pounds in my pajamas. I've got 40,000 French francs in my fridge. I've got lots of lovely lira now. The Deutsche Mark's getting dearer, and my dollar bills would buy the Brooklyn Bridge. There is nothing quite as wonderful as money. There is nothing quite as beautiful as cash. Some people say it's folly, but I'd rather have the lolly. With money, you can make a splash.
Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination? A COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Start your weekend early with the Tom Sumner Program every Friday live at 11. We turn the spotlight on the world of arts and entertainment featuring artists from music, TV, and the movies. Catch everything from the rich local talent pool in and around Flint and Genesee County to up-and-coming stars of stage and screen, plus legends from New York and Hollywood. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hopper. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Start your weekend right. Go to 11 Fridays on the Tom Sumner Program. Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Lifebuoy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Lifebuoy for hands and face as well as the back. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. 
TheTomSumnerProgram.com Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. I've uh, been criticized in the newspapers for the big parties and the uh, state dinners. Now we've got to cut down and economy starts at home. All right, if you say so. Oh, here they are. All right, uh, gentlemen, uh, let us be seated. Uh, Mr. Adenauer, if uh, you will sit uh, next to your uh, friend, Mr. DeGaulle. And uh, Mr. Castro, if you will sit here next to your friend, Mr. Khrushchev. Mr. Nasha, if you will sit here next to uh, Mr. Ben-Gurion. I'm... I'm, uh, I'm sh- I'm sorry, uh, Mr. Nkrumah, if you will sit in between Mr. Ben-Gurion and Mr. Nasha, then uh, you can uh, turn either way. Now, uh, Mr. Uh, Shankai Shek, would you uh, please uh, sit there beside Mr. Khrushchev? Oh, good. Now, uh, before we get down to the business at hand, I think lunch would be in order. Now, I thought that instead of the uh, formal food we usually serve here, that we would have a uh, typical American uh, businessman's lunch. So I'm going to send down to the delicatessen store for uh, some sandwiches. Well, how does that uh, how does that strike you, gentlemen? Uh, 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 Mr. Khrushchev, Mr. Khrushchev, would you? Uh, I appreciate your enthusiasm, but would you mind uh, just taking your shoe off the table? Now, I think uh, I'll have a uh, peanut butter and jelly on whole wheat with a uh, side order of a uh, coleslaw and a hot fudge uh, sundae. Uh, Mr. De Gaulle? Yuck. <laughs> I would like to have dove under glass. Well, I'm uh, sorry, General, but uh, we're only having sandwiches today. Then could I have a dove under glass sandwich? <laughs> All right, uh, Pierre, a chicken salad on white for the General. Uh, Mr. Uh, Shankai Shek. Uh, club sandwich would be fine. Thank you so much. Would you like it with a, a little mayo? Please, not to mention that name. Uh, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm sorry. Mr. Uh, Nasser. I'll have a hot pastrami sandwich. I can never get it at home. <laughs> what, uh, what kind of bread? White toast with lettuce and uh, mayonnaise. Uh, Mr. Nasser. What do you want, Ben-Gurion? Look, I, I know we don't get along. You never listen to me. Now you're fooling around with rockets. But this time, please listen. Pastrami don't go with white bread and lettuce and mayonnaise. Have <laughs> that on rye bread with mustard and a glass tea you'll enjoy. I think that, uh, I think that Mr. Uh, Ben-Gurion has a point there. All right, All right. I'll, I'll take a chance. Good boy. And if you like pastrami, next time you're in my neighborhood, drop into the house. My wife makes like a filter fish. It melts in your mouth. We'll have to get together, Mr. Ben-Gurion. My name is Ben-Gurion. You can call me Ben. My name is Abdul Nasser. You can call me Abe. Good. Now, uh, fine. Mr. Uh, Mr. Khrushchev. Oh, you don't have to order special for me. I'll have a bite of everybody else's. All right, uh, Mr. Uh, Adenauer. You have one sandwich here in America I love. I have a Western sandwich. 
If Adenauer has a Western sandwich, then I'll have an Eastern sandwich. There is a no Eastern sandwich. Then I want the Eastern portion of his Western sandwich. Well, I'm, a, I'm a sure... I'm sure we can uh, negotiate on that subject. Uh, Mr. Castro. No pregunte qué su patria puede hacer para usted. Pero pregunte qué usted puede hacer para su patria. I have a chicken sandwich with a live chicken. <laughs> Well, that leaves uh, Mr. N. Uh, Krumah. What will you have, sir? I'll have some watermelon. Don't put me on, Mr. Nagrumah. <laughs> all right. All right. A ham and egg sandwich and a Coke. And I guess a bowl of borscht. Okay. Okay, uh, Pierre, uh, put the rush on it. Well, we got Gentlemen, that was a uh, pleasant lunch. Now, uh, under discussion today, will be nuclear disarmament, followed by the U.N. bond issue and a uh, matter of the trade agreements. Now, first, there is a most important matter to settle. Uh, Mr. De Gaulle, yours was the chicken salad and coffee. That's $1.40. <laughs> <laughs> this was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
the comb across my head My way of says and I had a cup Looking up, I noticed I was late Grab my coat, grab my hat Made the books and seconds flat By my way of says and I had a smoke Somebody spoke and I went into a dream Program, don't you know? Go on, go on, get out of here. <laughs> 